Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today on the program. I, I trust you've been tuning in every week uh, that you can kind of follow the line of thought that we're sharing from the book of Revelation. We've been, and it's so difficult literally uh, to kind of teach this on a 30-minute segment over a period of time when you're on once a week, but we really have had such good response from each program because they literally could stand alone. But if you want to gather all the information that we are sharing from this uh, series, this is probably somewhere around 22 or 23 programs that we have aired to date on this subject. You can always go back uh, to our website. There is a link directly there uh, from our television program to YouTube. Or you can just go straight to YouTube and watch all the programs we've aired to date. That'll bring you up to date with uh, what we are sharing on the book of Revelation. Uh, fresh things and powerful things. I believe that the church uh, that God is writing and what we've been sharing uh, is uh, we've been talking about the transition of the churches. In the book of Revelation, we've been dealing with the seven churches that are in Asia. And again, on the set today, I have with me my oldest son. I'm going to take a little while today in introducing this before I give it to him so that we can really take our time and get to some things we need to say in this segment. But he, he's been on the set with me, got some great things to say about the book of Revelation. I would encourage you to uh, take a moment and uh, go to their website, find out where they meet at, because if you're in Northern Virginia, you ought to go by uh, and be blessed by his ministry there in Winchester, Virginia at Word That Frees. But we've been talking about the churches and the transition uh, that they are making. The, the key word to all of them have been repent, which means metanoia, change the way you think. It is a tragedy to me that we are 2,000 years into the new covenant and we still have to teach people to transition from an old covenant mentality to a new covenant mentality because mostly what they were repenting of, Jeremy, was not just sin. Yeah. That's all involved in yeah, it. Yeah but a repentance. Even one of the things that we need, one of the things for sure we need to repent from, Hebrews 6 says, we need to repent from dead works to serve the living God. So sometimes we need to repent from religion. I believe that if I ran an altar call sometimes uh, to get people to repent from religion, it'd be the biggest altar call in human history. But I believe we are all continually changing the way we think. That's why we don't, we're not dogmatic even about uh, what we believe about the book of Revelation because it is uh, constantly changing and unfolding. As God gives more revelation, we would be absolutely arrogant to think we were the only ones had anything to say about the book of Revelation. <laughs> but what we can do is tell you this is what we believe God said to us at this season, and you've got the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds. But I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to get into this without me setting it up for a long time because I want to cover a lot of ground. The angel of the church at Philadelphia right? this is Revelation 3, verse 7. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David. He that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door. No man can shut, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. He's going to deal with those who say they're the synagogue of Satan, and they're not. Now, I want to really deal with this, uh, this concept in this segment because part of the tabernacle of David was the including 
of both Jew and Gentile. And we'll see that in the book of Acts in just a few moments. But let me finish reading this. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation or tribulation, literally, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I believe that the hour of temptation or the hour of tribulation that was about to come upon the earth was going to occur between 67 AD and about 70 AD whenever uh, there was tribulation such as was not from before uh, Jesus gave the prophecies of what would occur uh, in Matthew chapter 24 and then he tells them in verse 34 uh, this generation will not pass away till all these things have been fulfilled so they were about to be able to escape a tribulation that was about to come on the world we need to remember that this is relevant to the church in the first century because he's writing this to seven real churches that are really in Asia and he reiterates when he says behold I come quickly in this chapter uh, and he says to them in the book of Revelation chapter 1 uh, you know he says to them uh, for, for verse 11 he says behold I come quickly hold that which thou hast let no man take thy crown he says in chapter 1 behold I come quickly and they which pierced me will look upon me so he's talking about something that's going to occur within this first century church and some things that are about to happen there and then he says to him him that overcome I'll make him a pillar in the temple of God of my God, he shall go no more. I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now I want to come back again and reiterate a few things. First of all, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20, talks about the key of David, first of all. In Isaiah chapter 20, verse 20, or 22, this is Isaiah 22, verse 20 through 22. He said, Then I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Now this king Eliakim was about to replace an evil king. And he said, I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah and the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. He was talking about God is about to remove from an evil king and give the right to access the kingdom and all the house of David is going to be laid upon his shoulder. So the key of the house of David, this key to reign, is given to the house of David. Now there's a greater son of David that's going to come. He's the one standing here in the midst of the candlestick. Uh, or in the midst of this church, I say candlestick, but it is the, the candlestick. He's got the key of David. Here's the one whose right it really is to reign. And he gives the key, we talked about this in the prior segment, he gives the key to Peter, uh, and he says, you know, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're Elijah, others say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, uh, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, he's not building the church on the rock of Peter. He's building the church on the rock of the revelation of who Christ is. Mm -hmm. And the keys of the kingdom flow from that. So when he, later on in this chapter when he says, don't let anybody take your crown, he's saying to you, don't let anybody take your right to rule or to reign, mm -hmm. the power that you've got to bind and to loose, to shut up and to close up. But interestingly enough, he goes on to say, uh, this is in Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I like this, Jeremy, I will pour upon the house of David and on the inhabitants of, of, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. 
Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad-Raman in the plain of Megiddo. He's saying what the key of David is, is also the spirit of grace and supplication. And he's saying that what he's going to do is pour on the house of David and on Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. He's about to release to them this. And he said, in that day, they're going to look, look upon him whom they pierced, and they're going to mourn. I, I begin to think of that and tie that in with Revelation chapter 1, where he says to them in chapter, chapter 1, he said, uh, you know, uh, verse, seven, verse 7 of chapter uh, 1 says, and, and behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Amen. This is in direct fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 10 verse 12 mm -hmm. when he's saying they which pierce me will look upon me. So he's really getting to deal with some things here that's about to move from an old covenant to a new covenant from an old Jewish nation to a new Jewish nation to an old Jerusalem to a new Jerusalem to an old temple to a new temple. See he's promising the overcomer here to him that overcomes I'll write upon him the name of my God the name of the city of my God. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He'll go no more out. He's about to say, look, I'm about to move out of a physical temple that's going to be destroyed in 70 AD, but I'm about to move into a real temple. Yeah. Uh, old Jerusalem is about to be burnt to the ground, but new Jerusalem's about to come on the scene. There's about to be a brand new Jerusalem. It says also in the, the 13th chapter of Zechariah, right on the following of the heels of that verse, it says, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So he begins to say that what I'm going to do is I'm first of all laying on him the key of David that opens and no man can shut, shuts and no man can open. He's the door. We talked about this in the last segment. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there is no, Jesus said, I am the way into the sheepfold. Uh, verily I said to you, I'm, I'm, I'm the way, you know, verily, verily I said to you that, that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And in verse 9 he says, I am the door. Mm -hmm. And if you don't enter through this door, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So he's saying there's only one way to the door. And we talked about it, and I'm, I, and I'm doing a lot of the talking on this one, but I really need to set this foundation. But he says, you know, to them in, in uh, Matthew 7, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. That leads to life, yeah. not to heaven, life. And few there be that find it. Broad is the way. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. He is talking to a Jewish audience. Mm -hmm. And he's saying to them, uh, if you think there's another way in, there's few that are going to find this straight gate and this narrow way that leads to life. Now Jesus goes on to say in John 10, I am the door. I am the, I, I'm the one that gives, in other words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the door into, uh, into the sheepfold. There's no other way into this. So the straight and narrow is not, uh, the rules are so strict that nobody can make it. The straight and narrow was that the fact is you ain't going to make it at all based on trying to get in some other way. The yeah. some other way was through religious performance, sweat, labor. It was the broad way that leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right to a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. It's not the way that seems wrong, it's the way that seems right. And all that ever came before me, John 10, 10 says, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I'm come that you might have life 
Uh, John chapter 10, the devil is never mentioned. We use that to preach about the devil, and the devil may get involved in trying to th make you think there's another way in. But the thief of John 10 is in verse 1. In context, it says, if you think you could climb up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. There's a lot of people who thought they were going to climb up some other way, and that's why he was about to step out of his covenant with this Jewish nation and give birth to a spiritual Jewish nation. He was about to uh, open a door that no man could shut and shut one that no man could open. And the only door that's open, the only way that can lead you into the covenants of promise is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, you know, uh, so, uh, but I, I begin to think about the, the tabernacle of David in, in that sense, or the key of David. And one of the things that, uh, you know, uh, the Lord began to quicken to me or make real to me was in Acts 15. Now this one here, you probably remember some of this, but this is when the Jews are about to realize that Gentiles are being brought in. In mm -hmm. the last segment, you talked about how Peter went down to the house of Cornelius. It was completely out of Peter's paradigm that Gentiles are about to be included. And here he goes in, in Acts 15, he says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, this is Acts 15 mm -hmm. verse one, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. That sounds like religion today, don't it? Mm -hmm. If you don't keep all the rules. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused with great, uh, and, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And then they had this big Jerusalem council. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Now think about this. Mm -hmm. This is the paradigm shift here. The apostles and elders, this is the biggest church powwow in human history, to consider the matter of is it necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now we're talking about what we're going to do with these Gentiles who are coming in through the door. And when there had been much dispute, <laughs> sounds like today, don't it, over the grace <laughs> message, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that my mouth, that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, uh, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace, I like this man, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. He's the only way in. For Jew or Gentile, he's the only door, he's the only key, he's the only way. There's a door open, and the only door that is open is through Jesus. Every other door is shut. He shuts doors that no man can open, and he opens doors that no man can shut. Then all the multitude kept silent, listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And watch this, and, and, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, 
who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. This is powerful to me. They're getting up there saying, okay, this is the, the, the prophets declared this, that God was going to return and build the tabernacle of David. So the tabernacle of David and the key of David is not just praise and worship, but it is Jesus who is the door giving access to both Jew and Gentile. He said, I'm going to return, the tabernacle of return and build the tabernacle of David so that the residue of mankind can seek after, uh, uh, can be called by his name, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had, uh, has had throughout many generations for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And this is three of the same chapter. And he, this, is their, this is their conclusion and the letter that they finally write. And this is what they've agreed on to do for the Gentiles. To the brethren, here's the letter. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who, sent, some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Now this is this apostolic letter written to them. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well, uh, fare you well. And then uh, Amos writes in uh, chapter 9, and he says, uh, 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 verse 8, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saying that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve. You yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth, and all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake them. But in verse 11 it says, and this is Amos again where he's quoting about the tabernacle, in that day, in what day? In the day when the tabernacle of, Moses, or the tabernacle of David is set up. When was the tabernacle of David set up? Acts chapter 15. That's what he's saying. When the Gentiles come in, this is the day that I'm talking about. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and will close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up the ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, uh, that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of the grapes, him that soweth the seed, and the mountains shall drop with sweet wine, which I believe is the out outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The sweet wine is the Holy Ghost that fell upon Jew and Gentile. It is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that came in Acts chapter 2. It is the mountains shall drop the sweet wine and the hills shall melt. I'm telling you, this is the harvest of the Gentiles that he was talking about in Isaiah 9 when he said, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's the key of David that was put on his shoulders was he was literally opening a door to both Jew and Gentile. He said what would happen in that day would be that the house 
that 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 uh, there would be an overflow, and that the sinners and the, that that uh, there would be such. A, well, how, how's he read it again? He begins to say that that uh, the inhabitants and the and the sinful kingdom, which he's talking about, the apostate Jews, mm -hmm. those who rejected their Messiah, they were about to come to destruction. There were few that found the straight and narrow. That was Christ. Yep. That was a remnant of the first fruit of the Jews that were brought in. But he said, in that day, uh, there's going to be uh, the sinners of my people will die by the sword, and the evil uh, shall not overtake nor prevent us, and they would be sifted like a sieve. But what would come to pass is after God would begin to bring in both Jew and Gentile, that there would be a harvest where the plowman, where the reaper would overtake the plowman. I believe that that began to be birthed clear back in Acts chapter 15 when he's saying to these people, hey, I'm about to bring a new covenant. I'm about to give birth to a new Jewish nation. I'm about to give birth to a new Jerusalem. I'm about to give birth to a new man. I'm about to give birth to a new heaven and a new earth. There's an old covenant about to pass, a new covenant about to come on the scene. We ain't got much time left. I want you to jump in there, but I needed to really cover that this Absolutely. week. Go ahead and jump in there a little bit. It's, you know, I, for you know those that uh, don't know, I think too, to understand what is the difference between the tabernacle of David and the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses was uh, set up in the wilderness when God gave the commandments of the law on Mount uh, Zion, our, our Mount uh, uh, Sinai. Sinai, that. And, uh, so, and he gave them the commandment on how to build the tabernacle with the three rooms, the different pieces of furniture, and even how the camp would rest. But when you get to the day that, uh, of the tabernacle of David, David's tabernacle only had one room. It had the most holy place where the ark, and it only had one piece of furniture, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. When he brought it up from the house of Obed Edom, and you know the story of how he would da he danced before the Lord until he danced to his clothes was off, and uh, you know embarrassed his wife and some things, you know. But he was uh, just so uh, appreciative that the presence of the Lord had come back, and that the, the you know that that the Ark had come back to Jerusalem. He sets up this ark and set up a tent that everyone had access to. It was not hidden away from eyes. Everyone could see it. Everyone had access yep. to it. I think that one of the keys of it that we need to understand is that in Moses' day, it was that, that his tabernacle was set up in a day when the children of God had to, were, were constantly moving. They were in transit from mm -hmm. the bondage of Egypt. of Egypt to the promised land that God had promised them. But in David's day, when he sets up this tabernacle, there's a city. There's a place that is yep. a permanent residence. There is, it's not, they're not, they're no longer moving. They haven't inhabited the land. Not only have they inhabited the land, but they have begun to grow and prosper in the land. And whenever he says this church in Philadelphia, he says, you know, I'm going to write a new name upon you. I'm going to make you a pillar in the, in the temple of my God, and I'm going to write a new name. You're going to become the city of the new Jerusalem coming down and that he's talking about this key of David and uh, just like you were talking about this tabernacle of David, he's going to raise up the tabernacle of David. I believe that the tabernacle of David is, you know, that Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. It's the place where God rules and reigns. He does not reign from a judgment seat. He rules and reigns from a mercy seat. Mm -hmm. And that uh, under the old covenant, there was no access to it. There was no, only the, the high priest could go in once a year, you know, that there was no access to that, that ark. You couldn't look upon it. Even whenever they would go to move, when the camp would move, they couldn't even, when they would take the, te the, the tent down, 
they had they could not walk in there and start taking the tent down they had to take the curtain down backwards they had to lift that curtain back down and then walk backward and cover mm -hmm. that art because they could never look upon that mercy seat without the covering under that old covenant without any kind of coverings you couldn't look upon it but in David's day, David gives them access to say, see, the presence of God has returned. The ark is here. God is ruling and reigning in the midst of the new Jerusalem. God is, is with us. He, you know, we, we talk about Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. David showed the access that he truly is God with us. And I believe even as we're talking about this church of Philadelphia that day, he says, I'm going to give them a new name. I'm going to call them the new Jerusalem. I believe that's really what's true of us today that God has called us the new Jerusalem, mm -hmm. the, the church, if you will, mm -hmm. the bride of Christ. And there should be something inside of us. I think sometimes we've been very covered with the presence of God and denied people access to the presence of God unless they've come in by the works of the law. Mm -hmm. They've been circumcised and all the stuff mm -hmm. that they were disputing here in Jerusalem. We've given them everything that would exclude them from the presence. But I believe God's mind is wanting to change to say, I want people to, when they come into the new Jerusalem, when they come into my city, that there's an access, there's nothing hidden. There's, you know, because there was still a tabernacle of Moses set up in the same day that David had his tabernacle. Yeah. Except there was no presence of God down there. But it was hidden from, yep. from view that people didn't even know that the presence of God had left because there was no access to it. But David said, here it is. It's available. We're not hiding nothing. God is in this city. God is ruling and reigning and his presence is here with us. And I believe even as we talk about the, the tabernacle of David being set up in our days, there needs to be in our, in, in our lives every day in our church, you know, just like we're talking about this church of brotherly love, there's something about them that God says, I, I don't, he doesn't tell them to repent. He doesn't have anything against them. There's an operation of who God is in them. I believe there needs to become such a presence and an operation of who God is in us that, there's, that we're not hiding nothing or keeping people away, but there's an access to the presence of God says, see, God is ruling and reigning right here, right now. See, we're talking about, you know, we hear all the time God's going to rule and reign one day. But one thing we need to understand is God is ruling and reigning right now. He's right, he's present right now, ruling and reigning in the hearts of men. And there needs to be an access to the presence of God that's not hiding it, that's not keeping people at distance, that's not giving them the rules that should keep them away from the presence of God, but that there is a throne set up in the middle of this new Jerusalem, in the middle of his church there is a throne set up where God really is ruling and reigning now, not going to be. He's ruling and reigning right now and to give people an access that they can come into the presence of God and see it for themselves. Man, we're just about to run out of time. He does have the key of David and he is opening the door to both Jew and Gentile to give them access to this presence that Jeremy's talking about. Not through the rules of the Mosaic system, but through the grace and supplication of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the key to the door that opens the door that no man can shut and shuts one that no man can open. Take a moment, call the number on the screen. Thank you for joining us today. Join in again next week. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.